Heavenly Father, you give us the word. We open our hearts and minds to you to learn from you, to receive love from you, to give us strength, and to lead us to understand you and your ways, and to guide us to lead others to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, at the end of a trip to Southern California, my uh, wife, Laurel, and my son, John, third-born son, <laughs> third third son, John, and I had a wonderful drive up Highway 101 through coastal California, leaving uh, early in the morning from Santa Barbara, where two of Laurel's brothers live. The weather was beautiful that day. The scenery was stunning, and the traffic was incredibly light. It seemed that we had the road almost all to ourselves. We're making a very good time. We decided as we approached the city limit of San Jose, that we would just keep on driving through the lunch hour, figuring that since uh, the conditions were so good, we could easily transition from the 101 to the 680 north and go across the Benicia Bridge and get on 80 east and take the 505 shortcut to avoid uh, downtown Sacramento and then up I-5 toward home. Oh, it was all laid out so perfectly. It was just going to work. It was really going to work, but it, but it didn't work out. As soon as we crossed into southern San Jose, it began to, to rain and the wind began to blow very hard. We lived in the Bay Area for 12 years. <clears throat> and we never saw it rain so hard with so much wind as occurred that day. In just a matter of minutes, uh, in a matter of minutes, we were just completely stopped on the freeway. An accident with overturned vehicles was just in front of us. And when we finally cleared that, we had to slow down again because of a car that went off the road over and, and down an embankment. A little later, another accident. And the water was deep in some spots on the freeway, which meant more accidents. And so heading over toward Benicia, there was a, a jackknife big rig with its trailer flipped. We finally made it out of the Bay Area that day, finally, but in about triple the time we thought it would take to get home. Our beautiful scenic drive had turned into a dismal freeway carnage in no time flat. It was so disappointing. Perhaps that's how you feel this day about the challenges and the changes all around you right now in the middle of a global pandemic. It's disappointing, isn't it? Consider God's view. God's view. He must have felt a similar disappointed as he observed the world, as the human race that he had created and that had turned away from him and decided to live apart from him. When humans decided to rule themselves rather than living for God and under God's rule, the world in a flash moved from order and beauty and good to disorder and ugliness and evil. By all rights, God could have, and at that time, simply washed his hands of humanity, been done with us all, and sent us away to truly uh, deserved eternal punishment. Instead, he began to work in an amazing plan of redemption and salvation for the world that he created and for the human race that had gone astray from him. 
The Bible tells us the, the true story of this amazing work of God. And at the center of this story is the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to die on the cross and then to rise again from the grave so that we, as many of us who would receive him and his salvation, might come out from sin and overcome death, both spiritual death and physical death, and enter into life with God, both spiritual life and eternal life. Less than... Two months after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, one of Jesus' first disciples, Peter, spoke to a large crowd, a large crowd of people in Jerusalem, a crowd that included a number of those who cheered on the torture and execution of Jesus. In that address, Peter explained Jesus to them, highlighting a, a number of facts about him, including one very exceptional fact which is recorded in the New Testament book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 22 and 24. It's those last words of verse 24 that are particularly striking. It says it was impossible for him, Jesus, to be held in death's power. Why was it impossible? Why was it certain that Jesus could not and would not be held down in death? Peter, in these two sentences we just read, revealed the answers to that question. First, Peter said it was impossible for death to hold him in its power because he was, and he still is, the saving one, the one sent by God to save us, the one. Peter said of this one, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. It was impossible for him to be held in its power. This Jesus, Peter said, was not a stranger to you, he lived among you. He ministered in your midst. You knew him. You knew that he was special because of his teaching. No one taught the word of God and told, uh, told of God like him. Jesus' words about God were not only incredibly insightful and authoritative, they touched the, her- the uh, human heart, opening it to truth, convicting it of sin, calling it to repentance, drawing it to God. Some of you will experience that today as God, he makes that word of scripture come alive in your life. His character was also unique. He was above reproach. He was pure in all his ways and deeds. He was one who committed no sin. His character marked him as one sent from God. But Peter especially emphasized this, that this Jesus was also attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs. Did you catch that? Miracles and wonders inside and signs. Miracles refers to demonstrations of God's power. Wonders are, refers to deeds that are astonishing. Signs are, refers to acts that reveal and point to spiritual truth. Jesus performed just such those supernatural works. And Peter told his audience that day that he, Jesus, uh, did them in your midst. 
He said, you yourselves saw them. You saw them happen, or you saw the results of them. You saw the injured, the sick, the disabled, even the dead made well. The demon-possessed made free, and stormy seas made calm. That was evidence that he was the saving one, the Messiah, the Savior, whom God had long before promised he would send so that we might be forgiven, renewed, and spiritually transformed. As Nicodemus, one of the most respected teachers and leaders in Israel at that time, said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus proved that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the saving one, by the works that he did. Death had no final power over Jesus because he was no ordinary man. He was the saving one from God, and he still is. The resurrected Jesus is still the one who reconnects us to God. He's the one who has the answers to our questions, the solutions to our problems, the instructions and guidance we long for, the life and power of God that we need in order to overcome the past, deal with the present, and enjoy the future. We are a needy people. He is still the saving one. You might think or say, okay, okay, but I don't get it. If he proved to be the saving one from God, why did so many of them reject him? Great question. The history of Jesus tells us the answer. Their rejection of Jesus was not because of lack of evidence. Even his enemies acknowledged his miracles. But as John 3.19 puts it, men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Like many today, folks in Jesus' day longed for a Savior, but they wanted one on their terms rather than on God's terms. They did not want a Savior who would call them to live for God rather than themselves, or ask them to humble themselves before God and humbly serve others. No, they were not willing to give up their self-rule and their sinfulness, and so they rejected the saving one, the one who saves. Would that happen to be you today, perhaps? If so, it isn't the day to leave that behind. There's a story long known of a French intellectual who hated the Eiffel Tower so much that he ate lunch there every day in the restaurant on the first floor. He did that, he said, because that was the one place he could see the beauties of Paris without having to look at the Eiffel Tower. There's this foolish sort of self-imposed blindness and immaturity we fall into when we say, I don't even want to check out Jesus, or I would never follow him because nobody's going to cramp my lifestyle or tell me how to live my life. I'm not going to go bow down to anyone or make anyone my leader. Really? Really? But what if he is the saving one? Does it make any sense to reject him? Is it worth it to stay away from him in order to have your way? A way that's not working? Perhaps Jesus has been tugging at your heart for some time now. He's the saving one. Why would you not come to him, worship him, follow him? Peter went on that day to mention a second reason why death could not hold Jesus. It was because both the death and the resurrection of Jesus were according 
to the plan of God. Many through the centuries consider Jesus' death to have been an accident of history, a tragic murder that happened apart from God's will. But Peter describes it quite differently. Although sinful man carried out the execution of Jesus, far from being contrary to God's will, this was actually God's design. Christ's death was actually uh, uh, actually orchestrated by God. Does that mean that evil was actually instigated by God or that those involved in Jesus' death were controlled by God and could help, they could not help themselves? No, not at all. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1.9 tells us. James 1.13 says God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone. God never violated the free will of those who took part in Jesus' death. He did, though, not stop them from doing what they desired to do once they had rejected Jesus and determined to kill him. Also, God oversaw all that happened in the death of Jesus so that the timing and details of it were in perfect harmony with his purpose and his plan for it. And that purpose, the Bible shows us, was determined and ordained by God from ages past. From eternity past, God had it in mind. He had foretold it in the prophecies of the Old Testament centuries before Jesus lived on the earth. Peter goes on to mention one of those prophecies. Verse 25 says, The saving one, the saving one God made clear would be a suffering servant and one who would die. But why would that be God's will? Why would God do such a thing? Very simply because of God's great love and his mercy toward us, Romans 8.32 says. It says there, God did not spare his own son, but he delivered him over for us all. Did the saving one, Jesus himself, have this forced upon him? Or did he have any say in this? Absolutely. Jesus was not simply from God, but of God. He was the son of God himself. God who willingly took on humanity and lived among us to save us. His will was in perfect conformity with that of God the Father. And he gave up his life willingly. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my initiative, he said. These are Jesus' words recorded in John 10, 18. But why did Jesus have to die for us? Well, because it was the only way that God could deal with the problem of human evil and with our being guilty and living under condemnation for our sin. For justice to be fulfilled, for forgiveness to be offered, someone would have to pay for our sins. And Jesus was the only one who both could and would do that for us. And he did. He did. But remember, not not only his death, but his resurrection was according to God's plan. This too was alluded to by the Old Testament prophets and foretold by Jesus himself before his death. In Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 31, we read Jesus' words to his disciples. He said, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's been killed, he'll rise three days later. Mark tells us that the disciples did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him about it, but later they would understand. Because the resurrection actually happened. The disciples, along with many others, were witnesses of it. 
It was real. And by it, Jesus conquered death, the consequence of sin. He conquered it for us, for all who would receive him as Savior and Lord, who would be his followers, who would be united to him by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He conquered death, both spiritual and physical death, so that through him we too might conquer death. And we do conquer it and will conquer it in him. It's been said that his, Jesus' resurrection, is the crowning proof that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as a payment for our sin. Or as another person has put it, the resurrection is God's receipt to the believer for a a debt paid in, in full. Woody Allen, you might remember, was a comedian, a filmmaker, an author, an actor, a very talented man. Sadly, we don't know, but it seems like he never came to the Lord. Here's what he said once. He says, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it through not dying. Leaving a legacy is good, but if we only leave a legacy on earth, that's not good enough. Because of his resurrection, we have the assurance that we are resurrected now, spiritually. And that we'll be resurrected completely, both body and spirit, to live with God eternally, Romans 6 through 5 says. John 5, 24 says, we have passed out of death into life. All of this has come about because of God's plan. Remember, it was impossible that the resurrection would not happen. Remember, it was impossible because it was God's plan that Jesus would not be held in death's power. The resurrection reminds us God's plans are never foiled. What he determines to happen will happen, and whatever he promises will occur. Peter said to his listeners that day, the godless men put Jesus to death, but God raised him up again. God did it. God has the power, the power to do the impossible. That's actually a third reason Peter mentioned as to why it was impossible for Jesus to be held in death's power, because he has the power to do the impossible, even in our lives today. What we need to remember is that God cannot be stopped. He cannot be stopped. His plans will all always be accomplished because his power always prevails. This is why our hopes are revised on Easter. God has made his plan for victory and given us his promises. We need not despair. There is hope, and we can put our life in God's hands. So are you on board with God and his plans? Are you going along totally oblivious to God and what he's doing? Are you actually aware of God and his plans, but maybe you're resistant to him, like many in the crowd Peter addressed that day? You don't have to stay in that state. You may get on board, just as many who listen to people that Peter did that day. As the worship team comes back up, I just want to speak a little of this, a little further down in Acts 2. The book of Acts, Acts 2, we read this. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles. Brothers, 
what shall we do? Brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. God today is still calling out. God is calling today in this place and in this continent and all around the world. God is calling out today. It's interesting that God has a way of redeeming situations. Remember that trip that started out great that I was telling you about? Remember that trip that started out great only to grow dismal? After we got out of the rain and all past all the accidents, God gave us an experience so good we'll never forget it. It didn't cost very much, really, but it was wonderful. Laurel, my wife, had been texting with an old friend who hoped we could stop in Red Bluff, California, just to say hi. Laurel, though, explained to her friend that uh, her husband doesn't stop for anything when there are eight or more hours till home, and we were aiming to get home tonight. I'm the husband who doesn't stop for anything. The friend said, well, just meet me at such and such off-ramp at one place on the highway back home. When we pulled off, she was very wise to stop, but she was also very nice, and she was very much a loving friend to us. The friend who had said, just meet me at such and such off-ramp was there, and when we pulled off, she just did one good thing. She just hugged us, kissed us, gave us a a tin full of our favorite fresh out of the of uh, oven banana nugget cookies and just said, now keep going and I love you. God so often has surprises waiting for us even at the end of a long, hard journey. Even when, even when we've been kind of messed up on that journey, God so often has surprises waiting for us even at the end of a long, hard journey. It really comes down to this on this Easter. You just need to be on the right road. You just need to be on the right road with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. Today, if you need to step forward in this, On this day, on this day, maybe you need to get on the right road. It's fairly simple. I will read a small paragraph here. As I read it, you could recite it to yourself or just go along with me. And we'll help you get on the right road. This is the prayer. You can just say yes in your heart if it's fitting you to stay. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.